Yes, <laughs> good morning everyone. <laughs> if you can't hear me, raise your hand. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's an old one, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, this morning, uh, well, through, throughout the week, I've been thinking, even last Sabbath sermon and, and what's coming ahead of us, the Lord's Supper is coming. Uh, some of these thoughts were kind of heavy on my mind. And our Bible study at home was the four Gospels that Pearl and I have been reading through. We finished that and got into the book of Acts and so on. But I kept going back saying I wanted more from the four Gospels. And particularly when you know that there's four stories about each subject that you're thinking on. Uh, if it's the Lord's Supper itself or if it's the last hours of Jesus' life on earth or some of the other uh, stories, it's nice to be able to look at all four of the Gospels and see how they've worded it, what has been there, what was impressed on their mind. Uh, it's not that somebody told the wrong story. <laughs> uh, it's rather uh, four different uh, points of view. And uh, they're all good for us. We, we need to compare them, like the, the four visits to the tomb. Um, so at least four. <laughs> but... Um, why did they go four times? Why did people go back? Why did the ladies go back another time to the tomb? It's always on your mind as to what was there. And then it's nice to think of what they saw and what they wrote about, what was told about. And who did um, Luke interview? Because Luke was interviewing these people and writing it down for us. And the Holy Spirit was wanting us to get these messages from um, John or from... And the ones for today is mainly Matthew and Mark. Uh, I couldn't do all four. <laughs> but uh, Mark is so much like Jesus, uh, like Mark's writing is so much like Matthew's writing about any part of it, uh, of the stories. So that you, you do get a different point of view. And uh, first thing you notice in Mark was immediately this happened, immediately that happened, immediately that, you know. <laughs> um, so his point of view is a little different than Matthew. Um, we know Matthew was naturally a mathematical type person, accounting and bookkeeping or something like that uh, because of his trade, his job was that. So you might hear some things that are a little different in, uh, in Matthew. And he's watching for those things that numbers made sense to him. Like when he said... Uh, the, uh, as the Sabbath was coming on, that uh, Jesus rose from the grave, uh, Sabbath, the first day of the week was coming on. It was still on the Sabbath, Saturday afternoon, when the sun was setting. And Jesus rose from the grave. And immediately when you watch the story around that point, um, Jesus was not there. He was not in the tomb. He had raised. He had he'd been raised from the grave. Saturday afternoon, when the sun was going down, there's a twilight between sunset and, and darkness. And sunrise, of course, has the same problem where the sun comes up and you have twilight and then full, full brightness. But uh, they said the end of the Sabbath, as it was dawning towards the first day of the week, as the first day of the week was about to start. Well, that starts Saturday afternoon when the sun goes down. People forget that. We think in our modern world that you get a half a night, then you get this daylight, and then you half a night again. Who said to do that? <laughs> okay. Um, so the whole night should be joined together, and that starts Saturday afternoon when the sun is going down, 
And that's the twilight then, and, and that was when he was talking about it. And Jesus was already gone at that point, already raised from the grave. So as we think about the, the Lord's Supper, uh, I entitled this Events Near the Lord's Supper. Events Near the Lord's Supper. Um, and just mainly staying with Matthew and Mark. There was a plot to kill Jesus. And you can watch along through the scriptures of how it was building up pressure and more and more pressure and more and more anxiety that Jesus would be killed uh, because he was speaking out. He was doing things that the, the authorities of the church of that time, the, the, um, well, the, the, the leaders and the, the um, oh, can't think of all the names. There's uh, Pharisees and scribes and so on. Uh, they were all, uh, didn't like it the way Jesus was doing things. And he was having a power and authority that they could not come up with. They couldn't heal anybody. And they said, well, you know, Jesus shouldn't come on Saturdays for them to, you know, it was only because they were jealous and they couldn't re reproduce what Jesus was doing. But they were uh, struggling with it. And that's in chapter 26 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. The first five verses are about the plot to kill Jesus. And I don't want to read the whole story and I don't want to retell the whole story. So maybe write yourself some notes as to what you'll see. So uh, Matthew 26, one through five, and then that is also duplicated in Mark 14, one and two, verses one and two. Then the next part that when Jesus was moving about, the date, days were still going on, things are happening. So Jesus was in Bethany and the lady came and anointed his, his body with this expensive oil. And people said, well, why did she use that tremendously expensive oil um, that, uh, to, to anoint him when it could have been sold and um, given to the poor, you know, it's an excuse. They didn't want to see it being used on Jesus. And uh, that's in, in the next following verses in Matthews from uh, chapter 26, 6 through 13, that uh, anointing with the, in Bethany. And then uh, Judas, immediately following that, I guess he was mindful, he was the one carrying the purse, carrying the money for the group. And anyway, he tries to go to the... Um, authorities, the Pharisees, and asked that he would make the um, commitment, you might say, that he would be the one that would um, identify Jesus and bring accusation against Jesus by doing that. And so he was making a bargain with them for the money. He was after the money. Then if you go to that same chapter 26, but go to, to 17 through 29, this is when it gets quite interesting as you're getting closer and closer to the time of Christ's death. Mark tells it in chapter 14, and Luke tells it in chapter 22, and John 13 and 14 are all about the same subject. So by reading just one and only 10, 12 verses, uh, we're not getting the whole story because you've got two chapters in, in the book of John. So you really do need these other chapters to look for what's happening. And the night, this was the night before Jesus' death. 
the Last Supper. So you want to go through here watching how is it arranged. Uh, Jesus sent the disciples, a couple of them at least, but he sent a few of the disciples to go and follow this man. And where he would go in, you ask for the head of the house, the man of the house, and you ask where is the upper room where a room was prepared and prearranged. The man knew what was happening and already prepared. God was working both ends of the story, right? So he knew that Jesus would be coming and he asked, uh, where is this upper room that the master is going to be coming and eating the Lord's Supper there? In this, there's Passover had to be done, but also he was going to be doing the last supper for him, the Lord's Supper, the last meal that he would have with his beloved disciples. So when you read about that, you, you know that this room was prearranged, this plan was prearranged. So when they came there, how come there wasn't somebody to wash the feet? It's all in God's plan, right? Jesus was going to show this to them. The time of the eating of the Passover meal, uh, I, I've looked in a number of places to see if there was any hints of, of, um, of extra information. It said actually the, uh, the plan uh, of the foot washing and the eating of the Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper, there's controversies about what came first. How did this happen? How did that happen? So that tells us that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we could make an excuse for this, or like, do we do the feet first or the meal first? Do we have a meal or just the emblems? And we're not doing the Passover. We're not, the Passover was for looking back to coming out of Egypt and to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. Well, we've gone past that. The Messiah has come. What is Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper, as we call it? Um, it was looking back to what it had been in the Old Testament, the Passover. It's looking back to that. But it's looking forward to Jesus coming back as Lord and Master. We're looking forward to eating it again with him in the kingdom. He says, I won't eat it again with you until the kingdom come. So we're looking forward for that time when we'll have Jesus with us. Uh, going on, uh, the Passover meal had uh, an animal killed and, and uh, cooked so that they could eat it. Uh, the New Testament, we don't have to do that. There's no records of them ever doing that. Uh, in the New Testament. But we need to do the emblems that represented Jesus Christ. And he said, this bread is going to represent my body. This juice is going to represent my blood that's going to be shed for you and shed for many is the way it's worded. Uh, so we're, we're wanting to make sure that we have those. The foot washing, again, is which is first and which is second. Uh, it seems to me like when they should have done the foot washing when they first came in, it's, they started the, the regular meal of the Passover meal with the animal and the bitter herbs and you know, so on. Uh, there was rules to what you had to do with the Passover. But that was being done. With, oops, somebody forgot to do the foot washing. No, it, it was all in God's plan. <laughs> it was all in God's plan. As somebody has said, wisely, that when, uh, when creation was being done, 
Heavenly Father or Jesus and so on creating, they didn't say, oh, whoops. No, <laughs> it was done right the first time. <laughs> okay, so, um, but anyway, this the foot washing had not been done. So um, they, uh, Jesus took off his clothing, his robe or his coat and so on, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. And so on. that's another part of the, of the story, a different time frame that I want to do right now. But he washed their feet. And uh, the disciples are all saying, whoa, what's going on? This man that's in front of us wanting to wash our feet, he can stop a storm. He can calm the sea. He can heal people. Um, why is he washing our feet? So it's no wonder Peter said, hey, what are you doing? Don't, don't wash my feet. And then Jesus tried to say, well, you need to. And he said, oh, no, you're never going to wash my feet. And so there was more explanation. And Jesus said, you won't have any part of with me if I don't wash your feet. And he says, okay, wash my feet, but also wash my hands and my head. He wanted to be really clean. He wanted to work for Jesus, do whatever Jesus wanted him to do. And Jesus said, you don't need to wash all of that if you have your feet washed as a symbol. You're clean all over. But you know, there's one here in the group that is not clean. And that bothered everybody. It wasn't very long and they started saying, what is that all about? And he said, somebody's gonna, de uh, gonna betray me. He's gonna betray me. And then, is it I? I surely wouldn't do that. And I went down the chain of who was, might um, lose it. And, and betray Jesus. So what we're looking here at this point in the scriptures that I've been talking about is what was going on. And I like to follow, and you're looking at all four of the, of the stories about the time of Judas at the meeting and at this food. Where was Judas? Uh, even things that I looked at, they don't know for sure where he was. <laughs> but I like to look for him anyway. Did he leave before the emblems were given or did he leave after the emblems were given? Interesting. We're going to do it the way we suspect that Jesus did it and what we can learn from the scriptures. We're going to do it that way. But it's also interesting to look at the words of how each one worded it. And where was he? When Jesus gave him the sop and he went out in the one story and Jesus said, go quickly and do what you have to do. And he went out. Was the emblems after that or before that? It's not a big deal. But it's just a point of interest. So when you're studying the scriptures, that your mind needs to be open to some extra ideas that you might see in there. And why one book of the Bible, John, left out something, or why the book of Mark left out something, uh, we don't know why. It's for our, our learning. <laughs> for our minds to comprehend and to look at and understand the whole story. Not all is in one place or you wouldn't need the others, right? You don't need three duplicates of the same story. You just do it all in one story. So God had a reason for doing it the way he did. And we can look at the blessings. And while you're looking at those in the tomb, where were the angels standing? Were there any angels? Where was the clothing that was left? Did they fold the clothing? Was the cloth around his head put in one place? and the other folded and put it somewhere else. 
You want to look for those things. It's just interesting parts of, of the pieces of the story. And I'm hoping you're doing that now, between now and when we do the Lord's Supper service, so that we don't talk about that that evening. We just stay with the emblems and keep it as uh, modest in length as we can. But there was a contention. When you look at the, the probable order of what happened, there was a contention when Jesus washed their feet. That's one of the first things to keep in track. Uh, Jesus announces the betrayal. I've already said that. But this, is that one next? Or was it before the foot washing? Well, it seems to be in that order. Foot washing and then, is it I? Is it I? The sop was given to Judas. And he said, is it I? And then it was confirmed that it was Judas. And he went out. And he went, Jesus said, do what you have to do. Do it quickly. The uh, Lord's Supper is instituted. Seems to be the next thing after Judas left. But he was there for the foot washing. He was there for the Passover meal. The uh, new commandment is important. New commandment. Jesus was concerned about the love amongst the the members that were there, the 12 apostles, but there was ladies there uh, and so on. There was, there was a, a group of people there, more than just 12. I know we always see the picture where there's just 12 um, sitting at, around the table or, or leaning. They used to actually be on, on pillows and they would lean over sideways and that's how they sat around their meal. That's how things were done in those days. Anyway, that's in John 14. The new commandment. So going on, sometimes they've got maps of the city. Uh, I don't have a map here in front of me, but I know that there's uh, maps available. Even in the back of your Bibles, for instance, they'll show where these points of what happened during that night following the, uh, the eating of the Passover meal and Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. Uh, in... Um, and get any cross-referencing verses that you find uh, in the middle section of your, uh, your Bible reading. There's usually a middle column or sometimes it's over in one side and it'll give other verses. And some are in Zechariah, some are in Matthew, some in Jeremiah, um, using different books of the Bible. In uh, Matthew chapter, no, this is in Mark chapter 14, the Last Supper is given. Uh, during that time. And Peter's denial is in there. You want to look that up. And remember Jesus said to, uh, to, to Peter, he said, before the cock crows are going to deny me thrice. Well, then you watch in the scripture and it'll say, whoops, the, the cock crowed. And then something happened and he denied Jesus a second time and the cock crowed. You know, or went, went one, two, three, and then the cock road, okay? Um, but you, you watch those things in the story as how, how that came out. Uh, Jesus actually ended up with at least two trials, and one place I read was four trials. Very interesting to get into some of these, how they did it. They went first to the Sanhedrin and got a, uh, said that he was being blasphemous, uh, blasphemed. Um, then they they went from there to to uh, Pilate, I guess, and they went to uh, Herod, and then back to Pilate, and and then it was given to the people. Uh, it's back and forth, sort of four trials, and each one 
had a reason or a, a point of, of trial, question. Was he lying? Uh, was he belligerent? Was he blaspheming? Was, you know, each one you want to look and see. So first they went before Annas, uh, the high priest, and that's in John chapter 18. And it was around about midnight. The high priest, they went to him. And then uh, after the high priest, he was uh, sent, or oh, he put before the Sanhedrin. I've got in here one and then two is the Sanhedrin. House of Cleopas. Uh, and then that's in, in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, and John 18. I don't want to read all those. And I don't want to, but you could write them down if you like or ask me afterwards even. But there was a trial of a Jewish trial. Now they didn't have the law to be able to say, okay, he's going to be stoned or he's going to be so-and-so. Uh, they didn't quite have that power. And so um, they had to uh, take him again to somebody else of higher power. Uh, let's see, at the beginning of the night, um, the was the only law legal trial was that next one when they took him to the Sanhedrin. That was the law of the Hebrews, law of the Bible. So they took him there. And that's when Peter denied Jesus as well at that point there, a session in the night. It was only their own law legal um, trial because it was the Sanhedrin. And he'd already been to the high priest, but they had to have the Sanhedrin behind them to do that. Then when the daylight came, the Sanhedrin uh, officially ratified the, what had been happening at midnight. And that again is in all four gospels, all three, uh, Matthew 27, Mark 15, and Luke 22. Uh, it was a legal point or legality that needed to be done. They charged him with blasphemy. That was a spiritual thing that he had done wrong, supposedly. And that's what he's charged with, blasphemy. But they took him to uh, Pilate and Pilate was seeking an easy way out. <laughs> and uh, he thought, okay, it was um, more of a local thing rather than a Jewish uh, Roman government thing. So he would, uh, instead of him passing judgment on him right now, he was going to forego it and send him before somebody else. But um, Pilate, right in the same story, all four Gospels again, shortly after midnight, Jesus made no reply to Pilate. Pilate was testing and questioning and saying, did you do so-and-so or not? And Jesus didn't speak. And... Um, uh, so he heard that Jesus was a Galilean or of that province of country near Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee. But um, the city's names are not important now, but that's where he was from that area. So this was an easy way out. Uh, he would send him then to, um, to Herod. Uh, Galilee, Pilate sent him to Herod. I read about this part of Herod. I wonder if I have that right handy here. Ah, uh, yes. Before Herod, this was the Herod who had killed John the Baptist. 
Uh, because actually there's four Herods, if I remember right, three for sure. But um, they were relatives, one of another. Uh, so this Herod had killed John the Baptist and further had murdered the children of, Jeru of Bethlehem. Remember the story of the children being killed in Bethlehem? Uh, that was this uh, Herod. Jesus refused to answer any of his questions, so Herod mocked him. Ah, the mocking too. There's four mockings of Jesus. One on the cross. That'd be the last one. But there's this mocking here. And that was a, a form of um, horrible debate, you might say, where you're accusing and pointing fingers or slapping somebody or throwing something. Um, not to kill them, but to degrade them and, and try to get them to say something that they shouldn't say or to uh, uh, impress on somebody that uh, he was lying, possibly. But this Herod then sent him back to Pilate. When he gets to Pilate again in Matthew 27, around about 15 through 26, because I'm in Matthew right now, but uh, it's also in Mark 15 and Luke 23, and John 18. So this is well known that this was the next person that Jesus talked to. And as things went along, it got worse and worse. But you remember when Pilate thought that it, it was over, you know, the answers were all done, the accusations were okay, and he was going to do away with it, but he didn't, didn't want to kill Jesus. He wanted to spare him. And he saw him with the crown of thorns. He saw him with the robe on him that was mocking his position. He didn't do anything to help that. But there was rumblings of rising riot. If you read and look carefully for what was going on, how they were making a tumult, um, trying to make trouble. <clears throat> and then they also threatened to report it all to Caesar, which would have brought trouble for Pilate. And so he then had to give a sentence. His, his findings, his judgment, you know, his saying, he didn't have to go to a court. He just had to give the, the sentence, what you're going to do. And the people wanted crucifixion. Now, a little story about the crucifixion. It was outside the city. And I liked what I was reading because I noticed that he was pointing out that uh, a general, a general thought sometimes and general people's discussion is not true. Because some are teaching that Jesus was crucified in the city and they built a Catholic church right on top of it and said this is where he was crucified and so on. Um, and, and this that I was studying, it said no. He had to be outside the city. You, you might remember, or look it up later, that when somebody was... Um, put out of the society or put out of the church. They put him out, away, put him out in the city, put him outside of the city. Well, this was next to the garbage dump because if they killed that person, they could just dump them over the edge and they keep that burning all the time and it would consume whatever, burn up whatever was there and the smell and so on would be gone. There wouldn't be rotting flesh or anything. It was just a way of cleansing the area. So anything that you threw over there would burn up. So that's what would happen to a person that was crucified. They just dump them over the edge. But uh, Pilate kept trying to save Jesus. Remember his wife had a dream 
And she said, be careful with this man. I had a dream. It was scary. And so he kept trying to save Jesus. But finally they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they said, all of this will be on us. On our, his blood will be on us. Well, that's pretty sad, pretty scary. So we know that it was outside the city and this place that they had in the Hebrew tongue was called the skull in Matthew and Mark. Luke and John may have changed slightly because of the Greek language and the Hebrew language and the uh, uh, translations. So it may be called Calvary in Latin. Calvary in Latin. So when we sing a song about Calvary, you know, that talking about Jesus saving us and it's all about Calvary, the, the dying of Jesus on the cross on Calvary's hill, um, that's because that's another name. It's a Latin name for, for the skull. Golgotha in Hebrew is the same place, same hill, uh, the skull. And this place actually looked, if you were standing back a ways and could see more of it, it actually looked like somebody's skull, the eyes and so on. Um, so the, uh, that was why it was called that. And I guess today it's still called the Skull Hill. Skull Hill. So you're looking on maps, you might find that rocky edge, about 30 foot drop uh, on the outside of the hill so they could throw people over, and drop down in there. Striking resemblance of a human skull is what it said in some, some books. Okay, going back again a little bit here, because that's Mark that I was looking at there. Going back to Matthew. In Matthew 26, you have the agony of Gethsemane. And it's also in Luke. And in uh, the betrayal and arrest. These are all kind of sad readings and hard to read. Um about what they were doing to Jesus, and he couldn't respond back, didn't or wouldn't, because he could have. <laughs> he, did, he could have called the, uh, his side, his army, to come and defend him. And still in, in chapter 26, is uh, he's before the, the high priest, and Mark tells the same story. Um, Peter's denial is in chapter 26, 69, and it's also in John 18. In chapter 27 is the official, officially condemned. Jesus is officially condemned. So they could, they could say lies and so on and back and forth, but they had to come up with a certain amount of proof. So this could be officially condemned. And that's also in Mark 14. And again in Matthew 27, uh, 3 through 10, the suicide of Judas so in between all of this, you want to continue to cover the story. What happened to Judas? What did he do? He went out and he said, okay, I'll take your money. And I'll, how will you identify Jesus? I'm going to identify him by a kiss. And when, J when Judas came and kissed Jesus, he, Jesus said, do you uh, identify me with a kiss? Are you betraying me with a kiss? And says, as a friend, you're supposed to be friendly. You're supposed to care for your friends. And you're using this against me. Interesting to catch those thoughts as you go. The trial before Pilate, he was the Roman governor of that area. Um, he was the governor over Judea. 
of high position, high authority, and uh, he had the right to say whether Jesus would die or not. And you remember that one, uh, the uh, uh, Jude, uh, if I can think of his name now, uh, Barabbas was up on the line of who gets let loose, you know, sort of thing. And so Barabbas would have been let loose, and and he Pilate tries to say, well, why don't you just keep this guy on the side, or I'll just keep this guy alive, but I'll put him in jail, or I'll and I'll let Barabbas come to you. And, oh no, we don't want Barabbas. We want Jesus crucified. Wow. So um, he couldn't save Jesus that way. Uh, this guy was evidently, though, a hard-hearted person, really. And, uh, for uh, a Roman governor, he had to be probably to keep authority. So Pilate eventually says, uh, okay, you take him and crucify him. And uh, it's a pitiful story, a hard story to think on. But the Jewish leaders, they wanted this. And they were going to see to it that it would happen, that Jesus would no longer be um, around causing difficulties for them. So they were going to go to all the way to Caesar if they had to, to get this to happen. So then uh, Pilate went ahead and said, okay. Yeah, Pilate's wife, uh, her name is here in my paper, but I don't think I, Petrula? No, I won't get it. P-R-O-C-U-L-A. Okay. Um, she was the one that tried to get her husband to stay away from hurting Jesus. And then, of course, there's a, a believed story that some say that uh, um, what happened to Pilate afterwards and what happened to the, his wife and so on. Those are just guesses, I would say, who was keeping track in those days. So I already told you Jesus was mocked four times. Uh, once at his trial, uh, he was mocked. They mocked him in Luke 22. Herod and his soldiers had mocked him. And Pilate's soldiers mocked Jesus. And the last one was at the cross by the priests, the elders, the scribes mocked him. They knew better. They knew what was going on here. They knew they were falsely accusing him and mocking him. You know, like, why don't you come down off the cross? You said you could build this and you could do that and so on. Why don't you show us some of these things? Well, Jesus had already shown them a plenty. Didn't need to try again. Didn't need to be teased or mocked into uh, doing something that wasn't appropriate. Do you remember Simon of Cyrene? Oh, that's good to hang on to because there's even different stories uh, being told around of what whether this man actually showed up and helped carry the cross for Jesus. But the thought is that Jesus was so beaten, so uh, mocked, so pounded. Some of the story about what they beat him with, the, the lash, we used to call it here cat of nine tails, but uh, they used it on board ships to keep control. And here they're using it to just to beat Jesus. And they're trying to say, well, I did it. I punished him. I uh, investigated him. I, you know, so they're just trying to cover up for the fact that they were still going to kill him anyway. But uh, they tried to do as much damage as they could to him beforehand so that when he went to the cross, he was pretty beat up. 
It's interesting as you follow through that there was three hours of darkness. Wow. In the middle of the day. Three hours of darkness. I guess that would tell you, hey, there's something different going on here. We need to know about this. There was an earthquake so strong that it rent rocks, broke stones, broke rocks, and tombs were opened. I mean, that was a powerful storm, (laughs) shaking, powerful shaking. Even as Centurion said, he was an officer, and and yet he said, uh, while during the crucifying and Christ dying, he was convinced that Jesus was indeed the Son of God from what he saw and what he heard. That's a testimony that really we need to know about. So this is where I want to end for, for today. It's sad I don't have a especially good verse to end with because uh, you've got to stop somewhere. And I'm in the middle of the story, right? I'm in the middle of the story. So we need to hear a little more about uh, when Jesus died, the things that he said when he was dying, and, uh, and that he did die. And when they came to kill all, all of them because the, the, the Jewish Sabbath high day was coming and they didn't want the, the uh, convicted people here, the, the two um, bad people plus Jesus in the middle of them, the three crosses. Uh, they didn't want those bodies to stay on the grave. And I guess when they would crucify somebody, they mostly tied them on, but if they wanted to be a little extra nasty, they would drive nails in them. So that's what they did to Jesus. And uh, to get air into your lungs, you have to push yourself up with your arms and with your legs so that you could open your lungs and get air. You have to do that for every breath of air. Jesus endured that for you and I, for, for our salvation. And he was not just pushing against ropes or against wood or log behind him or whatever. Uh, some say it was a, a post and some say it was a, a wooden one, so they call it a tree. Um, but it, there is evidence that the Romans also used to put this way, put a cross on there, but they would also tie the person on around their arms and then they'd hang there for maybe a week, starving, no water, and Jesus was facing that, and yet he went through with it for our salvation. Now he said, I talked to his heavenly father and he said, I yield my spirit to you. And it's good to hear those last few words that Jesus said while he was on the cross. What, what did he say? And then when he, uh, when he would die, they were gonna break the legs so that they couldn't push themselves up to get air and uh, then they would suffocate. And the other thing would be maybe come and stab them or cut them in some other way so they couldn't use their bodies and their arms. Well, they stabbed Jesus. They, they saw that he was dead already, but they stabbed him with a spear. Sometimes they call it a reed. And uh, that's, that's their form of word for, for a long a blade on a, on a stick so that they could stab him. And water and blood came out it's almost impossible to have that happen. That was a miracle. The blood was for our salvation. The water is life. The Holy Spirit or whatever can be represented. But that happened. They saw it and they reported it. 
So uh, it is a miracle situation, and Jesus did die in that same day, so that it wouldn't have gone on to the next day and the next day and the next day he died. And uh, we'll get to more of that as we go along. I would say do a lot of praying, a lot of thanking to Jesus for what he did for us. That's what we need to be doing these next few days. May God bless you.